Good morning. Looking up, Brother Tim, I nearly talked to you about PowerPoint. Do we have something up there? <clears throat> so she's looking at that. I want to acknowledge how grateful we are to be together. Good to see some back with us. Sister Bettingfield's been feeling down and rotten lately, and she's back with us. Good to see Sister Liz uh, with us uh, this morning. Several are, are recovering. It's great to see David and Lynn uh, Layton with us uh, this morning. David wants us to express from him uh, to all of, all of us uh, sincere gratitude. David was a, David was a very sick uh, man uh, last year about this time. And um, several of you, many of our number, sent him cards. He says he's got a whole box of cards from Midway. And he wants us to know how grateful he is and how meaningful uh, that is uh, to his recovery. And we're grateful to see David and Lynn with us um, this morning. We're especially grateful to worship our Lord in his name and have this opportunity now for a few minutes to look further into the scriptures. What do we become when we become Christians? Well, we become like farmers who sow the seed. We become uh, fishers of men who share the gospel. We become soldiers of the Lord who stand up for the right way. We become family members as we learn to love like the Lord loves. And, and this this morning, and this, we become runners in the race. Look with me to Hebrews 12 today. Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2. We'll focus on this. We become runners in the race. In fact, you'll notice there, seeing that we are compassed about Hebrews 12 and verse 1 with such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin and run the race with endurance. Run it with endurance that is before us. So the great thing here about Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, is this. We have a command that we've got to run this race, but also we're showed how to run this race in the same passage. It's just beautiful and encouraging how the Bible is just laid out so plain for us. So we see that we need to run this race, and then in the same breath, the apostle here shows us how to run the race. So that's, that's before us this morning. Let's get started. How do we run this race? Okay, how do we run this race? So first of all, we run this race by being inspired by this cloud. By this cloud. See that? Hebrews 12 verse 1. By this cloud of witnesses. Cloud of witnesses. These these witnesses most likely refer back to Hebrews 11 as Hebrews 11 mentions all the great men and women of faith who lived in, in older times. 
these witnesses. Be inspired by them. Why be inspired by them? Because they're called a great cloud of witnesses. Not just a cloud of witnesses, but look here. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. All right, you see that in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Someone said, some man said one time, he said, I, I, I rarely read from the Old Testament except for a few Psalms and Proverbs uh, here and there. Well, how much he misses, how much he misses. He misses the great examples of old times. In fact, we read in, in Romans 15 and verse 4, we read in Romans 15 verse 4 that the things written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. We miss so much hope if we're not reading about these older men back in the old, older times. The word patience there means endurance. The word comfort means encouragement. We can derive so much encouragement because of the great endurance of those of old uh, times. Now just look, just glance with me. This is just a glance, okay? In Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, notice some things that, that we can learn from those of older times. Do we want to worship the Lord as he would direct us to worship? Well, look at the example in Hebrews 11 in verse 4 of Abel, who offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. But he did this by faith. We know that according to Romans 10 and 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So we look at Abel and he, he listened carefully, better than Cain did. He listened carefully. He, he, he saw and he heard what the Lord wanted in worship and he worshiped the Lord in that way. And he is a great example uh, to us. Do we want to learn to walk close to the Lord? You know, we talked a couple weeks ago in James 4 and verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. We want to learn to walk close to the Lord. We'll look at the example of Enoch in Hebrews 11 and verse 5. By faith Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. You don't get much more intimate with God than that. So what a great example Enoch is. Do we want to learn to heed the warnings of God? Well, you look at the example of Noah. Do we want to learn to heed the warnings of God and take God seriously? Well, what about Noah's example? Hebrews 11 and verse 7, By faith Noah, Noah, being warned of God concerning things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Absolutely. And so you think about worship. You think about walking with God. You think about heeding the warnings of God. Look how these, these men, these women of old times help us. Do you want to learn to conquer worry? Well, look at Abraham, Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. He went out to a place for, in which he was to inherit uh, to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he went. Can you imagine? He went out not knowing where he was going. But still, when God called him, he went. Okay. And we can follow Abraham's example in faith and learn to conquer worry. 
Do you want to learn to have the, the proper attitude toward wealth? Then you read on down to Hebrews 11, look at the example of Moses from verses 24 to 27. We know about Moses and the great choice. He, he, chose, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God to enjoy, than to enjoy the pleasures of, of sin for a season. And he accounted, this is what he accounted. He, he accounted the reproach of Christ of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. You think about worship, you think about walking with God, you think about heeding the warnings of God, you think about worry, you think about wealth. We've got these men and we can look at their lives and we can learn and we can be encouraged and we can learn to run this race. So in order to run the race, we've got to be inspired by these examples, this great cloud of witnesses. You know, life comes down, doesn't it, to the heroes that we set before us. What heroes are we setting before us? What heroes are we setting before us? What heroes are we setting before our children? What heroes are we setting before our, our grandchildren? And what would God have to say about this? What does he say about this? In the second place, in order, in order to run this race, we are runners in the race, in order to run this race, we've got to lay aside every hindrance, every weight. We've got to lay aside every hindrance. You see, God wants us growing. Absolutely, 2 Peter uh, 3 and verse 18 says we ought to be growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord every day. But he doesn't want anything to hinder us to impede this progress. So anything that might hinder us, he wants us to lay aside every weight, every weight, okay. every uh, hindrance that might possibly be there. Now, <clears throat> I think we understand this. I think we understand this from, from just the nature of life. Like you, like, like many of you, I played baseball when I was younger. I loved baseball, but I never was a fan of the baseball uniform. Okay. I don't have any better answer to it, but I don't like the baseball uniform. I never did like it. Okay. Well, we can understand, we can understand the uniform because you don't need to be out there sliding around and diving for baseballs and sliding into bases and making all these other movements and having pencils in your pocket or your pocket knife in, in your pocket or a wallet in your, in your uh, pocket or anything else in your pocket. You need to lay those things aside so you can go and do the movements you need to do to play. And so in the Christian race, we are to lay aside any hindrance that possibly might, might get in the way. Now this can be things that are bad, okay? Any and, and everything that might be bad, whether it might be a bad attitude or a bad habit or even a, a bad association. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, the evil companionships corrupt good morals. So it can be anything and everything that is bad, but it also can be things that 
we would consider not so bad. Even what we would consider harmless things can become harmful if our priorities are not right. Paul, Paul teaches us, and Paul prayed along these lines, Philippians 1 and verses 9 and 10. He teaches us to pray. By the way, I, I want to do a, a series sometime, okay, but if I don't ever get to it, you can do it. Okay? But praying like Paul, praying, praying big like Paul. Okay? And we need, to, we need to jump up and pray like Paul. We need to get out of our regular routine prayers and start praying like Paul. And Paul, listen to how he prays. He says, I pray for you, brethren, that, that your love may abound. Isn't that a good idea? That's the kind of things we need to be praying. That, that not, Lord, I don't want to be satisfied with the, with the type of love I'm expressing right now. I want to grow in that, abound in that more and more with all knowledge and discernment. That's a great prayer right there. I want to abound more and more in love. Lord, help me to do this. And help me to pray that others will do this. Abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment, approving the things that are excellent. You see, there it is. Approving the things that are excellent. Okay. We're not just striving to stay away from the things that the world considers evil. We are striving for those things that are excellent in the sight of God. So this is the kind of thoughts we want. Anything, anything, whether we consider it harmless or harmful, anything that would be an impediment, anything that would get in the way of our growth, then we want to lay that aside. It reminds us, we, we mention this quite often, and we ought to. Okay? We often mention, well, what's the definition of worldliness? Well, any time that the, any time that the, the outward man Okay. is more emphasized than the inward man, that's worldliness. Anytime the temporary things are emphasized more than the eternal things, that's worldliness. Anytime, anytime we have an overemphasis of the flesh instead of the spirit, that's worldliness. Anytime we have an overemphasis of this life over that which is to come, that's worldliness. You see where we're going here? Anything that would hinder us needs to be laid aside, especially... The Lord warns us, especially about people, about people. The Lord says over and over, be careful about people, people. This is very deceptive, okay? We, many are deceived hereby, okay? Because we, we, want, we, want to, we want to have good relations with friends. We want to have good relations with brethren. We want to have good relations with family members and with co-workers. We don't, we don't want to be in conflict with anyone. Yet sometimes the gospel, the gospel brings us into conflict. Jesus said, for example, in Matthew 10, 34 and 35, he said, you know, I didn't come to bring peace to this earth, but a sword. He said, sometimes uh, your foes will be those of your own household. He says, he that loves father and mother more than me or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And Paul, Paul asked this question in Galatians 5 verse 7. Notice this carefully. He said, you are running well. See, there's, there's the race right there. Paul said, you are running so well. What happened? Who did 
hinder you that now you're not obeying the gospel, now that you're not obeying the truth. When, when we are confronted with the truth, we obey it. Okay. Only, only one thing Paul had trouble with here. He, he said, someone is keeping you from obeying the truth. When we first hear of Jesus and the requirement to, to hear and his word and, and believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, that's obeying the truth. But we continue to obey the truth as Christians. And Paul said, you Christians there in the area of, of Galatia, you have stopped obeying the truth. Somebody is hindering you from doing Who is that person? Who is that person? See, we must lay aside every weight that might hinder us from running the race. I have relatives who grew up in the church. I have several, okay? And as I even speak this, they're popping into my mind. I can see them who have swayed away from the truth. If they die today, they're not going to heaven. In every case, some person, they've been persuaded by some person, some close friend or some relative or some person they have married. See? So the apostle here is saying to run the race, we must lay aside every hindrance. In the third place, in order to run the race, we must lay aside especially this sin, the sin that besets. Better translation here seems to me is the sin that entangles you. Or even better, the sin that so closely clings to you. What is this sin? What is this sin? Well, it's the sin of unbelief. That's what they're dealing with. That's what they're dealing with. Here in Hebrews, notice this. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That, that was the apostles' concern here. They, this sin, this particular sin, there's one particular sin that's plaguing them, and that's the sin of unbelief. You can see it again in Hebrews 3, 17 and 19. He he reminds them that the reason that in the old times that the, the generation of, of Moses that did not get to go into the promised land, they didn't get to go in there because of disobedience and unbelief. And the same disobedience and unbelief can keep us out of our promised land as well. Notice in Hebrews chapter 11 again that the, the number of times the, the little phrase by faith is used, 21 times. 21 times in the book of Hebrews 11, this phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abraham, by faith, uh, Joseph, by faith, the children of Israel, by faith, Moses, by faith, Noah, by faith, by faith, by faith. This is the problem. The problem is unbelief. See, our faith or lack of affects everything that we, we say, think, and do. Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God. It just affects everything. Okay. Now, we have defined faith many times uh, along the years, in the years. I like to sum it up this way. Faith is a combination of knowledge from God's Word and then trusting God and obeying him. 
So knowledge, trust, and obedience. We particularly have trouble with trust. If we don't trust the Lord further enough, then we'll never obey Him to the point that pleases Him. Trusting the Lord. A couple of statements I want us to just dwell on just because we needed to dwell on them. Okay. Not because I've got some great commentary upon them, but just because these statements in and of themselves ought to make us stop and think. One statement is this. In Matthew chapter 9 and 28, Jesus enters a house where there's two blind men. Okay. And before he heals them, he asks this question. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. And he healed those men. In John chapter 11, 26, and his discussion with, with Martha, Jesus' discussion with Martha, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but they're having a discussion about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. He looked to Martha and he said, ask the same question. He said, Martha, do you believe that I am able to do this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Son of God who is coming into this world. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 36, Jesus has made his way now to uh, Jairus' home, the ruler of the synagogue, and his daughter had been very sick. They come to, to this ruler and he, they say to him, don't bother the teacher anymore, she is dead. And Jesus looked to him looked to the Father and said, do not fear, only believe. These are the kind of statements that when you begin to, or at least when I do, maybe we all can do this, when you begin to, to start falling in your faith, drifting away from your trust in the Lord, go back to these statements. That's really the question that comes to us. That's the question that the Lord wants to know. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Apply that to any of the promises of God. Apply that all the way through. <clears throat> There's a little boy. Don't think that the little boys are not listening at church. There's a little boy and he was, he was playing around the house. And as he was playing, he was singing this song that we sing sometimes, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But instead of obey, he, he, he didn't get one of the words right. He, would, he was singing, trust and okay. Trust and okay. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and okay. He missed that word, but I think he caught the sentiment. He caught the real depth of meaning of Jesus better than we do sometimes because when we trust, it's okay. When we trust, it's okay. Reportedly, the middle verse of the Bible, the very middle verse of the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 9. Psalm 118, verse 9. I've got it marked in my Bible. The middle verse of the Bible, Psalm 118, and verse, I don't hear too many pages turning. What is this? 
Okay. Chris, you want to do something about that for me? You, you turn. You trust that it's there? That won't work. That won't work. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. <clears throat> well, it's got the word better in it. Okay. Better it is to put your refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The verse before that says about better it is to take refuge in the Lord than to put your trust in men. The middle verse of the Bible is talking about trusting the Lord. And so we must lay aside this particular sin, this sin that entangles us, this sin that clings so closely, the apostles say, and that's the sin of unbelief. And then finally to run this race, we've got to be looking unto Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 2. We must be looking unto Jesus. Brought out here is the cruelty of the cross. Looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame. And so when we read about Shame, and we read about endurance, we know that the cross was very cruel, and it was. Even the Roman citizens didn't want to have anything to do with the cross. Cicero once said that for a Roman citizen, may he never experience a cross in his body, and may he never experience a crucifixion in his mind, in his eyes, or in his ears. Even the Roman citizens didn't want to be close to a crucifixion. Crucifixion was reserved for, for slaves and criminals, and yet Jesus endured it for us. Brought out here is the cruelty of the cross. Jesus suffered first physically. Jesus first suffered physically. We remember a reading from Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. He was, <clears throat> he was bruised. For our iniquities. He was pierced for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was pierced in his body. On top of that, we know that he was whipped without mercy even before he went to the cross. Jesus suffered physically. And then second, Jesus suffered emotionally. The very thought of bearing the sins of the world took Jesus to his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. The very thought of bearing the sins of the very ones who wanted him dead, who were involved in his crucifixion, was enough for Jesus to say this in Matthew 26 and 38, he said to his disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Have you been there before? So sorrowful that you felt like the next step is death. Just emotionally, Jesus suffered. And Jesus suffered spiritually. 
Notice it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that he despised the shame. A great deal of shame on the cross. Just a very, just picture it. They, they've, they're putting you up there on the cross naked in front of the world. That's, they're not just killing you, they're trying to shame you. But they're making all these, creating all these sayings against Jesus. You read about them in Matthew 27, 39. If you're the Son of God, come, make yourself come down from that cross. It's, Jesus despised all the means they were using, all the means they used to take him to the cross. Jesus despised that. Naturally, he did, because he's, he's God. Okay. We read this, we read through these accounts, and we say how wrong that was of them to treat him in that manner. Okay. We read that at one level. But think about the level of Jesus. He is the truth. He is the way. In the most direct and intimate way of all, Jesus knew that what they were doing to him was counter the means they were using, was counter to everything that God stood for. And yet, and he despised that. And yet, he endured that for us. And so he suffered for us. We look to Jesus. There's no other one to look to as we run the race. The cross is the cure for everything. When we learn this, Maybe the better question is, the better thought is, when will we learn this? When will we learn that the cross is the cure for everything? You've got family division, the cross is the cure. You've got attendance problems at church, the cross is the cure. You've got a problem being um, grateful to God, the cross is the cure. You've got a problem... Reaching out to people, the cross is secure. Listen to Jesus in John 12, 32. And if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He does not say, if you do this or that, men will come to me. Please read that carefully. It's not what Jesus said. He does not say, if you, you, and you, and you, and you will do this, 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 and this, and this, Men will be drawn to me. No, if I be lifted up, it's about the Lord, not us. Okay, our responsibility is to preach the cross in truth. We teach the cross in truth. Every bit of it, men will be drawn to him. We need to get out of the way. Okay, and let the Lord do his business. Let the Lord do his work. It's the cure. Now we have mentioned this morning the word weight and the word sin. Lay aside every weight and the sin. The truth is, sin is a weight. Sin is a burden that we cannot handle. 
And for time's sake, we will not even look at the verses that teach that. I think one is on the screen, yes. Isaiah 38 verse 4 is on the screen. That teaches that sin is a burden that we cannot even manage. Okay. That don't seem right. Aggravate. Aggravate. You ever get aggravated at yourself? So now I've got to check it because I can't stand it. I just can't stand it. It'll bother me. I won't be able to walk or sleep or eat. <clears throat> yes, that's not right. Dummy. Psalm 38 verse 4. I knew that didn't look right. Psalm 38 verse 4. So now I'm going to read it to you. Check it out. David says, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. It's good that we just read that. We cannot handle this. That's why we got to look unto Jesus. And listen to what he says. All ye who are heavy laden, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and I will give you rest. When I was dumb and young, I would read that and say, all you that labor okay, that means all of us who go out here and we, we work for a living and we work hard, then we come to the Lord, he's going to give us rest. Not, that's not it. The laboring here and the heavy laden is everybody labors and has the burden of sin. We, we labor and are burdened underneath the weight a sin. We can't handle this. There's only one answer, and that is to come, come to Him, and He will give us rest. This race set before us, we can run it, and the Lord shows us how. Will you come home to Him this morning? You know, you don't just wake up and you're in the race. You've got to get in the race. You get in the race by submitting to the Lord through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. Then you're in that race and you're expected to run it and the Lord shows us how. But we got to get in the race and run this race. Please come home to Him this morning and right now as we stand together, as we sing.